Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, how many of you are enjoying our series called We Are Family? We are on week four, and I'm excited to bring the word for you today. I want to say thank you to Pastor James and Pastor Dave for giving me the opportunity to minister and bring the word for you today. I actually made it to the collage here. That's me holding the flag, <laughs> and I'm hiding behind it, so, so <laughs> representing the Philippines. I was hoping to come and bring good news about Manny Pacquiao winning the fight, but those of you who still track boxing, didn't quite happen. Uh, but he was an amazing fighter nonetheless at 42. We're the same age, and I am amazed at what he is able to do physically. So that's amazing. All right, well, we are on Acts chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, please do turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I really would encourage you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to it, because we're going to be looking at a long passage, and uh, I actually want you to see for yourself what we are going to be reading, Um, because when I read the passage, I was actually really excited to talk about this, but as I read it, how do you know sometimes you walk and you look into a passage and you're expecting to see something, and then God just kind of surprises you, and you're surprised by what you see, and that the Word of God transforms you and changes you? That's what happened for me as I read Acts chapter 9, and I'm really excited about it. So as you're turning there in Acts chapter 9, just to give you context, if you're joining us for the first time or you're joining us online and you just tuned in, um, our series, We Are Family, is something we do every year. And what we do, in the five years I've been here, we've had a chance to do We Are Family every year, and it gives us a chance to reiterate for ourselves, this is who we are, this is who God's called us to be. And we value devotion, we value diversity, and we value discipleship. And every time we talk about that as a family, it just reinforces that God has joined us to be part of this community that lives up um, to these values. And over the last four weeks, we've been talking about specifically the principles that um, really um, tell us how we approach discipleship. So in week one, we talked about um, engaging our culture and community and the importance it is for us to be witnesses of the gospel to the people around us, the people that we love. We talked about establishing biblical foundations, how important it is to lay down foundations because as we know, storms in life do come, right? And last week, Pastor James talked about the importance of getting equipped in basic ministry skills. Today, I have the privilege to talk about empower that God has called us and empowered each one of us to be a disciple and to make disciples. And we're reading from Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9, allow me to read God's word. I'm beginning from verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Let's take a moment and bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hear your heart. Help us to see as you see. Help us embrace your word, because truly your word is life unto us. It transforms us. It changes the direction of our lives. We receive it as such, grateful for your word. Anoint the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this is an interesting passage. And, I, you know, when I was assigned this passage, Acts chapter 9, Pastor James and um, Pastor Dave said, you're going to preach in Acts chapter 9. I go, oh, I preached that before. Uh, this is going to be exciting. Uh, the topic is discipleship. It's a, a topic I'm really passionate about. I get to talk about it all the time to our School of Campus Ministry when we train our campus missionaries who go to the different campuses here in the United States. You know, I'm so excited to let everybody know through our Every Nation churches, we are currently ministering to 156 campuses all over the United States and over 2,000 campuses all over the world. And so I'm excited, like, oh, this is a topic I'm, I'm so excited to talk about. And I was getting ready to preach a particular word, but when I read this passage, I was gobsmacked. Something I wasn't expecting to see suddenly just started to shout at me. And I was like, ooh, this is a word I'm not that comfortable talking about. You know, just for context, if you're looking at the passage here, you see, Saul, who, for those of you who know your Bible and have had a chance to read this, you know Saul will eventually be called Paul. He's an apostle who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament we enjoy today. And here we hear the story of how he encounters Jesus. We read the part where he was breathing murderous threats to the early church. What was going on here? Well, as we hear from his own testimony in other parts of Scripture, he, was, he considered himself to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew like no other, a student of some of the best teachers of the law at the time. And what was happening here was the church had just started, and there was this early church that was creating you know, a ruckus, if you will, in Jerusalem and the parts around it because they were talking about worshiping a man named Jesus. And if you were a Jew, one thing you knew you never did. You never worshiped a man. And here he was, righteousness coming up. Everything in his training was saying, this is wrong. We got to quench this now. We got to stop this now. We got we to get rid of this now. And in earlier passages, we see Stephen, a man anointed of the Holy Spirit, preaching to the people, and they found him, and they said, what you are speaking is wrong. It's heresy. Don't you dare speak that. And we get introduced to Saul for the first time. He was there holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen, the first martyr. And the Bible says, he looked upon it with pleasure. He was approving what they were doing. And here's how we pick it up. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is bent on making sure he quashes and gets rid of this cult. And he was so strategic in this process. You know, I, I honestly think if Jesus did not encounter him on the road to Damascus the way he did the early church would have come to an end. 
he was so good at what he was doing. And here we see what's happening. Saul thinks he's doing something for God. He didn't know he was going against God. We're looking at scripture and we have a chance to kind of see the whole. We know the ending of this story. So we're looking at that. Go, Saul, what are you doing? He didn't know at the time. You know, I think about that. I think of my own life. I, you know, all of us here can see ourselves in the story of Saul in some way. We're all thinking of living our life the best way we can, thinking we're doing things for God. How many of you found out that you were doing things against God? I don't know which side of the spectrum you are. Some of, some of us here are clearly defying God and we knew it. Others were trying to do the best we can and still fell, fell short. That's where I find myself. I was doing everything right. It was hard for me to come to Christ. Why? Because I thought I was already okay with God. Saul thought he was doing something for God. And that's the story we're picking up here. Okay, let's pick it up again in verse 3. As he was going on his way, he approached Damascus, and he had, he had warrants of arrest in his hand, ready, with no names on it. Can you imagine holding a blank warrant of arrest? So that if he ever encounters one person who's following Jesus, at that time they were called followers of the way, he would arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem, and then he was so good at defending the law, he knew he could get them to say something. That if he could get them to say one thing, he could find them and say, that's a death penalty. You broke the law. He was so sure. He was so good at what he was doing. Bible says, suddenly. Can you all say suddenly with me? Say it again. Suddenly. I am so glad for God's suddenlies. But as we will realize, this suddenly was not quite as suddenly as we think. Saul had an appointment with Jesus that Jesus had been setting up for a while. Suddenly, you all have a suddenly. You all have a moment where at some point you weren't following God or you were doing your own thing. And next day, you knew God was everything for you. And it feels like a suddenly, but really it wasn't. God was always there inching you to him, wasn't he? That's a story we know. That's a story I know. But it says here, a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine this encounter? I try to imagine it in my mind because, you know, we read the Bible and sometimes we just kind of read it and jet ski over it and say, all right, that happened. Can you imagine how big a deal that was? I have bright lights shining on me right now so you'll, you could all see these are bright lights. I can't stare at them long. The lights that encountered Saul were so bright, he fell to the ground. It was that big a deal. It was a supernatural experience that he'd never encountered. Wow. And then a voice speaks. The Bible says that the voice was such that even the people around him heard it. And were like, ooh, something happened. They knew something happened. And Saul had a conversation, not with an angel, with Jesus himself. And Jesus called him by name twice. Saul, Saul, 
why are you persecuting me? I love that. Just, I try to think about how Jesus saw what Saul was doing to his followers as persecution to himself. You know, just the other day, I had to give a report for our Every Nation churches um, because of what's happening in Afghanistan. I talked to our leaders in the region and go, what's going on there? How can we help? All of our churches are wanting to get involved. And my heart was both heartbroken and at the same time so proud of the report we heard from the ground. Do you realize that many Christians have chosen to stay? A lot have fled and many have chosen to stay. And they said, we will continue our witness here. And they knew it was at the risk of their own lives. You know what's amazing is the Bible says that Jesus sees any attack, any persecution, any threat to any of his people as directly on him. Ooh, ooh, that's not what I'm here to preach on, but man, what a Lord we serve. What a Lord we serve. He in fact tells us, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. I'm not there yet. Lord help. Anyway, all right. Who are you, Lord? That is the question. I think that's the question all of us have. Who are you, Lord? I love how he responded. He said, I am Jesus. He introduced himself. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So I'm looking at this and I'm imagining this and go, this is the moment. This is the time. Saul's about to get it. Jesus is about to expose everything, show him, and transform Saul into Paul. That's the way I was thinking about it. And then I read verse 6. And I started to stop. I go, wait, 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 wait. There's something that's happening here that I didn't notice before. Jesus went out of his way to do this divine encounter, manifest himself in such a way that people could tell and Saul had to fall. Voice came from heaven. You'd think he'd seal the deal. I was trained in sales. They have A, B, C. Always be closing. When you have the guy down, go for it. Saul was in the ropes. He could have gotten knocked out right there. Instead, Jesus said, but rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you're going to do. Huh. Doesn't that kind of, doesn't that kind of make you go, wait, you already had him. You already encountered him. You already confronted him. You had him where you wanted him. Why did you let him go? And all of a sudden I was thinking, wait, is there something here that we're not looking at? Is there something here that I'm not seeing? And a thought started to rise up in my heart, and I was like, ooh, I can't say that in church. I started to think an encounter with Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't enough. And I was like, ooh, I can't say that in church. <laughs> My kids go to kids' church. Every time I try to talk to them about the Bible, they know the answer. Any question I ask them, kids, what do you think about Jesus? Kids, remember when? Jesus. Every problem that you have, the answer is Jesus. 
And here I'm looking at that. Jesus comes and manifests himself, and then he doesn't, he doesn't finish it. He sends him away to wait. What is going on here? Why wasn't Jesus doing what he, we know he can do? I mean, when he encountered Nicodemus, he confronted him, told him what it, and Nicodemus had to deal with it. When he encountered the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman was so in awe, so struck by this encounter, she runs to the town that rejected her and sex saying, I met him, I met him, I met him. You see the story of Zacchaeus up on the tree, coming down and saying, I'm going to give most of what I own. I'm going to give it away. These people all encountered the same Jesus and were completely transformed. Here Saul was told to go. What? I don't know about you, but this is like, what is going on here? There's something going on here that I need to understand. I hope you look at that too. It's like, there is something here we're not reading. Huh? What was going on? Well, let's keep going. It says in verse 7 to verse 9, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they saw no one. And then Saul rose, and although his eyes were opened, look at this, he saw the encounter left him more blind than when he started. Because Saul was already spiritually blind. Now he's also physically blind. And for the first time, Saul is face to face with the reality of his situation. Can you imagine you encounter Jesus and you end up worse than when you started? I don't know about you, but that was my story. The moment I heard about this Jesus, my life started to get worse. Things started to get harder. I couldn't sleep at night. I struggled with this idea. Could this be true? Ooh. It means everything, and I don't want it. It was hard. So the Bible says, they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. This Saul, who was leader of leaders, head of everything, in charge of this, was now being led by the hand. How humbling. Oh, can you just imagine that? He, he, he now had to be, he now had to be led by the hand. What a humbling experience. And for three days, the Bible says he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And I try to imagine, he was probably experiencing so much turmoil in his soul because everything he grew up studying, everything he grew up learning, everything he thought he believed in, all of a sudden, with one encounter, was now just, everything just unfolded and all, everything's like, now what? I don't know. Could, could, could everything I believed, this whole thought process that I built my life around, my identity, could it be wrong? And here's where it gets interesting. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Why is this story being brought up? Well, because as we're going to find out, an encounter with Jesus wasn't enough for Saul. Saul needed Ananias. Some of us, you know, when you come to worship, we expect the presence of God. We want the power of God. We were just talking about the holiness of God. We were seeing the holiness of God. How many sense the presence of God earlier in the worship, right? Yeah. Paul experienced the presence of God. Saul experienced the presence of God in such a way that it was amazing. 
What a testimony. But he comes away blinded and when he started. And the Bible says that while this was happening, he was brought to, the t- brought to the city, and he was there for three days praying, not eating, not drinking. God was setting another appointment. This time with a man named Ananias. I love how Saul, because he was so far away from God, had to be called twice. Ananias, who the Bible says is a disciple, just got called once. Ananias, here I am, Lord. Wow. Who is this Ananias? He's a disciple. That's pretty much the only thing we hear about him. Later on, when Paul recounts his own testimony, he talks about him being a devout man, somebody that everybody trusted and believed in, somebody who had high reputation in the city. But what we see here was this wasn't Peter. This wasn't James. This wasn't John. This is one of the original witnesses. It was just a disciple. That was his only claim to fame, and we never hear about him ever again. Man, is it possible that God would use an ordinary follower to change the life of somebody who will transform the world? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is it possible? What is a disciple? Let me give you a quick definition. That's our working definition. A disciple is one who follows Jesus and helps other people follow Jesus too. It's not one or the other. It's both. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. And guess what? When you follow Jesus, he says, I will make you a fisher of men. Which means you will, just because you're following Jesus, you will naturally help other people follow him too. That's what a disciple is. That's as simple as it gets. How many of you here are following Jesus? Guess what? That means God has given you the grace to help other people follow him too. Wow. All right, well, let's see. Let's see where this goes. So Ananias said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I love his quick response. Why was he so quick to respond? Well, I think it has to do with his name. You know what his name, Ananias, means? It means, the Lord has been so gracious to me. I think people who understand how much mercy and grace they've received are so quick to respond to their Lord when the Lord calls on them. It's people who have been forgiven of much or who are able to love much. It's people who have received mercy, who have seen this mercy, who are able to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because I live before God's mercy. So we see the Lord telling him. He responded so quickly. He said, verse 11 and 12, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, look at this, Saul is... For three days, he's not eating, he's not drinking. What is he doing? He's praying. He's trying to process. He's talking to God. He's trying to understand. He's doing his prayers. And he already encountered God. And look what Jesus, the insight we're seeing here. The Lord says, Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Here's Saul's second vision. Not of, not of Jesus. Saul's having a vision of a disciple. Saul's seeing Ananias. 
that Ananias would come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Is it possible that Ananias, a disciple, is the answer to Saul's prayer? You see, I believe discipleship is also the answer to many of our spiritual blindness. It's possible you've encountered God. It's possible you've heard of Him. It's possible He's encountered you. It's possible He's had an appointment of you. But you're still kind of not seeing. Is it possible it's because there's an Ananias assigned to help you remove what is covering your eyes? Ooh. We live in a world where people are like, mm, me and Jesus, we're okay. I mean, if anybody had the right to say that, it's Saul. He encountered the glorified Jesus. And yet here we see a model for how the early church was going to grow. Not through divine encounters, but through faithful disciples who say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Ooh. Ananias had serious reasons to say no. Verse 13 and verse 14, he said, Lord, uh, Saul, I've heard about this man. I've heard about this man. He's done evil. That was not an exaggerated use of a word. He has done evil to your saints. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You see, Ananias had every reason not to obey Jesus. He was about to go to a man who was sent to Damascus to capture him. And this is a man whose reputation was so bad that everybody feared just the thought that he would be nearby. And he, it wasn't just bad reputation, it was fact. He had done these things. Whew. Verse 15, verse 16, I love this. The Lord said to him, the Lord still said to him, go, go anyway. I get it. It's hard. I get it. There are challenges. I get it. You may not like him. I get it. He's dangerous. I get it. He could be faking it. I get it, but go. Mm. You see, God wanted Ananias to look beyond his own concerns. And what did he say? He said, for, why should you go? For Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. You see, God had a divine purpose for Saul. I'm so glad Ananias obeyed. You know why? Because if not, the gospel probably would have stayed with Jews. I'm so glad Ananias looked beyond all the real reasons why he shouldn't go. I'm so glad Ananias listened to God tell him, I have a plan for that person. And he may not look it right now. She may not look it right now. But guess what? Once he has what you have, 
You have received grace. Guess what happens when he receives the same grace you've been given? I can transform him. I can bring him to places you will never go yourself. Oh, I'm so glad verse 17 happened. Ananias went. Oh, he went. He went. And look at the heart change that happened in Ananias' life because he said, Brother Saul. This wasn't just, hey, bro. No. He was acknowledging you are one of us now. Look at that. Way before Saul repented, way before Saul showed any life change, he already declared him, you are my brother. Oh, man. Wait. Is it possible that what Jesus said is true, that the world will know that we're truly his followers and the way we're able to love one another? Is it possible that because we love our enemies, people will come to a saving knowledge of God because they will look and say, surely God's among you because how can you do this? Is it possible? Maybe it is. Just maybe. Why was he sent? So Ananias said, I'm here now so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus could have done it when he encountered him, but he didn't. You know, the church has always been and will always be Jesus' plan A to save souls and change the world. And some people go, why couldn't Jesus have just... He could. But he chose to use fallen individuals like you and me who have received God's grace. Is this the reason why he... Later on, Paul talks about this and he goes... We have this treasure, but it's in jars of clay. Is it possible? The Ananias is in our midst. Don't look impressive at all, but they have something we need. You have something they need. Oh, my. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. I love that. And you'd think the Holy Spirit comes on him. What, what does he end up doing? He ends up getting baptized, he ends up joining the disciples, he basically goes to the future fellowship hall, has a meal, joins a life group, gets ba- goes to the connect class, goes to the foundations class, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, gets baptized in water, becomes a member, and is now a follower who helps others follow too. Wow. But here's not, we're not done. Because what happens is immediately, the Bible says, immediately he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Like the Samaritan woman who, after encountering Jesus, immediately goes and ministers to her town. You know, we see no gap between him hearing and him sharing. Sometimes in church, we get to this place where we go, oh, I'm not mature enough. But I'm so glad Saul was immediately manifesting the grace and the gift. He wasn't a mature believer yet. He's a very young believer, but yet the Bible says he was already moving in the gift and the grace that God had given him. I love that. And so here he was moving in power. And I thought, are we done? No, because guess what? He's still in Damascus, and he wants to be part of the larger church. He wants to be used in the larger church, so he goes to Jerusalem three years later. It says that three years later, he's going to Jerusalem. He's trying to be part of the church there. What ends up happening? They don't want to follow him. They don't want him to come and join them. Why? They're afraid of him. Same reasons, right? It says there in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples there, 
And they were all afraid of him for they didn't believe that he was a disciple. He was moving in power already. He was moving in his gifting already. He was kind of moving in his calling already. And yet, the church kind of didn't want to have anything to do with him. I love verse that follows here. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, wait, there's another person now here. Who is this? Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? We get introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, a son of encouragement. You see, the calling of Jesus, as clear as it was, was not enough. Jesus was not enough. Saul still needed Barnabas. Even though he was moving in the gifting of God, guess what? It wasn't enough. He still needed Barnabas. Even though he's been three years kind of living it out, guess what? It wasn't enough. He still needed Barnabas. Who was Barnabas? A mentor, an encourager, a leader of the church, somebody who looked beyond his past and saw what God could do in his future. And Barnabas became a bridge builder. He goes, I get that all of you are kind of afraid of him. Let me go find out. Oh, there's something real here. Let me go bring you in. And I think this is critical. I don't think Saul would have experienced the fullness of what God had called him to be and do if it weren't for the willingness of Barnabas to invest in him when he was not looking like what he was supposed to look like. Wow. In fact, later on in Acts chapter 11, we see this story. There's this church called Antioch that was starting to experience revival, so the, the disciples sent Barnabas to go check it out. By this time, Paul had kind of made a mess in Jerusalem, so they kind of sent him away. They sent him back to his hometown in Tarsus, and he's been there for a few years. He's been there a few years. You know, they didn't know what to do with him. Barnabas has experienced this revival in Antioch, and he goes, I know somebody can help me. God's kind of hiding him right now in his own wilderness, in Tarsus, in his hometown. Let me go look for him. And he brings him from Tarsus to Antioch. Antioch is the first place where Christians are called Christians and becomes the, one of the main centers for early Christianity and becomes the headquarters for all of these things that God is doing. What am I talking about here? Is it possible that God is serious when he says that we need one another so that we can live out the calling of God in our lives? I want to speak to all of you today very simply. One, Jesus, as much as you love him, it can't just be you and Jesus. Jesus isn't enough. You also need an Ananias. Who was your Ananias? For me, 15 years old, it was a high school PE teacher who gave his time volunteering in a youth group he shared the gospel to me. Was willing to look beyond just everything that was not impressive. And he saw something that God was doing. My wife, I was asking her, who was your Ananias? And she said, oh, I was grade five. It was my classmate who invited me to VBS. And I heard the gospel. Who was your Ananias? You have one. Because that's how God works. He sets it up and then does something for you. Jesus isn't enough. 
we also need a Barnabas. I'm so glad people invested in me. Would you allow us to invest in you? Would you allow God to use you to invest your life in other people too? One last thought as we pray. You know, Jesus himself said he wasn't enough. In Luke chapter 24, he said, imagine the disciples had had three years of JLI. Not be alive, Pastor Bruce. Jesus Leadership Institute. Three years of him preaching to them. Three years of them watching him do miracles. Three years of him getting them trained. That's as good as a degree as you can get, right? And he's about to go up to heaven. He tells them, I'm going to transform the world. You go. Go and make disciples. But then he says in verse 49, but wait. All the experience you have with me, it's not enough. It's not enough. You had me, but it's actually better for you that I go. Because physical me is not enough. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us so that we could be effective witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Are you here today? You want what Jesus has for you. He has discipleship for you. He has leadership to bless you and give me a gift to you. And he has the Holy Spirit to empower you right now. Can we all take a moment and stand up? Because I just feel like the prayer, we want to pray. It's a simple prayer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Some of us need to say yes. You're already sensing God tell you, go. Some of you, somebody's praying. A Saul is praying. A Saul is praying. And you are the answer to their prayer. Holy Spirit, here we are. Like Ananias, we pray. We say, here I am, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.